Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome back to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I have with me Lily Sullivan, who is an MBA candidate in the class of 2021 at Goswata Business School at Emory University. And Willie is also the managing director of the John R. Lewis Racial Justice Case Competition. Uh, I'm excited today because Willie's going to talk to us about the John R. Lewis Racial Justice Case Competition. But bigger than that, he's going to talk a little bit about how this originated to begin with, the process of building this and really putting it together, and then perhaps maybe um, a little bit of a discussion around the importance of racial justice within the context of business school and for MBA students and soon-to-be MBA alum and, and what that really means. This is a topic that personally I think is really critical and important, and I'm glad for the work that Willie and his team are doing. And so I'm excited to talk to him about uh, how he actually brought this to life. So enough of me. Let's jump right into you and talk to you, Willie. So first off, thanks so much for jumping on the MBA Insider podcast. Just to start, just so people can get to know you a little bit better, could you talk a little bit about what you were doing before business school and why did you choose to get an MBA in the first place? Yes, thank you so much for having me and thank you for supporting uh, this initiative. It's been really great to get the support from people all over the country. A little bit about me. So I grew up in Arkansas in a town called Jonesboro. And growing up, I was actually really into the performing arts. I did the community theater and I was in the the chorus and in the band and and I played the piano. And so I went to, I did my undergrad in music at Arkansas State University, which is my home university. And while I was there, I originally went in thinking that I wanted to move to New York City at some point and play the piano for Broadway musicals. But then I switched paths and went down and decided I wanted to be an opera singer. And so I'd always sang. So it was just a different way of singing. And so I decided that's what I was going to do. So when I graduated from Arkansas State, I went to the University of Michigan to get a master's degree in vocal music. And I went there because the there was a teacher there. His name is George Shirley. And he was, was the first Black tenor to sing a leading role at the Metropolitan Opera. So this would have been back in the 1960s. And I wanted to study with him and I did. And after I graduated from Michigan, I went out on my own and tried to make it as a young American opera singer, which was not the life for me. So after about a couple of years, I went um, back to the University of Michigan to work for an organization called the University Musical Society, which is a performing arts nonprofit organization. And I was able to work in some marketing and fundraising roles there. And after about two and a half years, I decided I wanted to go to business school because I wanted to really Initially, I thought I would go back into the nonprofit space and I wanted to get some more business acumen. But once I got fully into the process, I realized that I actually wanted to go into the corporate space because I was really interested in 
having a real direct impact on people's lives. And I thought corporations could do that in a big way. Obviously, nonprofits can do that as well. But on, on the scale of a, a large corporation was really intriguing to me. So that's what I did. And I ended up going to Goizueta because it was closer to my uh, family circle. And also, I wanted to get out of those Michigan winners. And so I came there and recruited for consulting. And I ended up interning with Deloitte over the summer. And that's I'll be working there again when I graduate. Great. Thanks for sharing a little bit uh, about yourself to the rest of us. And so I want to just, now that we know a little bit of who you are and, and, and how you ended up at Cosueta, I want to jump in and talk a little bit about June 2020. Obviously a very challenging month, certainly the backdrop of it, certainly COVID. But in addition to that, obviously in the United States, dealing with a crisis of all sorts in terms of the killings from police around George Floyd in Minneapolis, Breonna, Tara, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and then certainly not too far from you, Ahmad Arbery, when he was jogging in, in Georgia, um, which is not too far from where you're located. And to my knowledge, I, it sounds like at many campuses, there are a lot of internal kind of meetings among students, not only just to check in and to see how everyone's doing, but also just to, to start thinking about what happens now. And it, to my knowledge, there's there is a meeting that you were on and it spurred you to think not only about what happened, what could be done. So could you talk to us a little bit more about what was, what kind of was going on with you and what was that experience like? And, 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 and how did it really ignite you to, to take action? Yeah. For MBA students in that the summer of the first year, you do your internship. And as far as COVID-19 goes, for some people, they lost that internship I didn't lose mine, but it was a bridge. It was supposed to be nine weeks and it was reduced down to two. I was actually not really doing much whenever this, whenever the, the George Floyd video, which I feel like was the big catalyst when that video started circulating. And so I was able to watch all of the reactions and see what was happening. And then, as you mentioned, we had already maybe a few weeks, uh, maybe a month before I had dealt with, with Maude Arbery and, and watching those videos. And so this was all, the context was all there. But I was really surprised initially watching the news coverage of just seeing that back in, in 2014, 16, around that time, whenever the Black Lives Matter movement actually began, when you would watch the news coverage, then it was mostly people of color, mainly black people that you were seeing specifically because a lot of that was happening in majority black areas like Ferguson um, and Baltimore. But then what I was seeing on the news was I was seeing huge groups of people and the diversity was really very surprising. And especially because I think I, like many other people, didn't really associate Minneapolis with having a large Black population. And so to see the diversity of Minneapolis in this way was a little bit, it was actually quite interesting. So going into, so the dean of our MBA program, Brian Mitchell, had a, a Zoom call I guess it was June 2nd. Now when I really think about it, maybe it's a little bit later. But in any event, I went into it and honestly, I didn't uh, really know what to expect. I hadn't spoken to a lot of my classmates about what was going on at that time. Like I said, a lot of people were interning. And so when I got on the call and I was 
two things were really striking. Striking The diversity I was seeing on television was what I saw on this call, which is not what I expected, because usually um, when a group of MBA students were talking about social issues, particularly racial issues, in my experience up until that point, it had been mostly people of color. So it was interesting to see a wider variety of students. And also, it was a very depressing call. People were incredibly upset and very, I wouldn't even say angry. I think the over overarching feeling was defeat and people had given up. And I thought, I think I said on the call, I said, it's actually really disheartening to me to hear people that feel so powerless when you have so much power. And at the time I said that, I didn't really realize I didn't fully have in my mind what I meant by that. And I couldn't, I couldn't explicitly say, what do I, what power do you have? And I think it was after that call and, and after doing some other reading and thinking, that's where the idea for this competition started to come from, which was looking at my colleagues, my peers who are in a top business school and in my mind, I'm thinking business is, is driving the world now in ways that hasn't ever. So it was bizarre to me to hear these people who would be future business leaders feeling powerless to do something about something like this. So that's where the idea really came from. But it's that kind, my reaction to that conversation was one of energy that people were interested in being in the conversation, but also, wow, we got to correct this wrong way of thinking about what's going on here. Thank you for breaking that down and for sharing a little bit more insight into that. And I think that is such a really powerful quote. And so talk to me a little bit about the the John R. Lewis case competition then. So how were you able to take these thoughts and these feelings and, uh, as you said, to take that and turn it into energy and productive energy? And, and what did that entail with the case competition? Yeah, it entailed a lot. But I think so for me after that... I stumbled across this this Harvard case note entitled African American Inequality in the United States and it did a, such a great job I, I'm a student of history just in general I've always really enjoyed history and I know a lot about the history of black Americans not just because I'm a black American but because I've really intentionally gone out of my way to understand different aspects of the experience of, of black Americans and what I, when I went into the case note, I was I'm not going to hit on everything, and there's, but I was actually really shocked um, and impressed with their ability to speak not just about the kind of big things like slavery and Jim Crow, which I think everybody understands and acknowledges, but there are a lot of other aspects to Black American, the Black American experience in the United States over the 400 years that we've been here that are much more directly attributable to a lot of the disparities and issues that we see today, things like the Great Migration. So how do you have, after the Civil War, 95% of Black people live below the Mason-Dixon line? How did they all in, How did so many people end up in places like Detroit and Oakland and New York? This case did a great job of explaining the Great Migration in a high level, but giving you that information. And then also the repercussions of that, of the redlining that took place in these major cities, of the strong resistance that people like Martin Luther King found more so in cities like Chicago 
where he was trying to break black people out of ghettos and allow them, trying to get them housing in other parts of the city and the strong resistance they got from immigrant groups. These would be white immigrant groups at this point. Eastern Europeans, Irish, Italians were very violently opposed to blacks being allowed in certain parts of cities like Boston and Chicago and Detroit. A lot of that is not fully understood, and those things happened less than 50 years ago. So I was really impressed with that aspect of the the case note, and that led me to say, okay, how can we take something like this that business school students understand, a case, so to speak, how do you take this kind of case and apply it to these kinds of issues in the same way you would any other sort of business case? And that's how... um, I presented it to the faculty member that I took the idea to is case competition is something that a lot of business school students understand. So it's it'll be a way to open the door to people to enter into speaking about racial and social issues. It'll be a way for them to enter that conversation. And from there, we started two working groups. One was like a faculty administrator one, and the other was a student one, just to throw ideas around as we continue to ideate. And the ultimate goal was to present ultimately to the dean of our business school at Goizueta because we needed the financial backing of the school. So that was the that was the initial kind of creation. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that the, what I'd love to maybe know a little bit more about, and you just mentioned in terms of splitting up into working groups and getting the approval to get financial backing, but could you talk a little bit more about just bringing this to life in terms of tactically, what was it like to go from idea to a proposal to getting into the nitty gritty of building you know, something from scratch and trying to do it in a way that, like you said, really aligned with the initial mission of how do I take this opportunity right now, this spark of energy, and turn it into something powerful that could really um, make an impact? I always say that I like talking a lot more than I like writing, but I probably did more writing in that kind of ideation phase, and actually for quite a while. When you say what kind of tactically, it was a lot of, I think it started out as a white paper and giving a narrative to all of this and then explaining what we thought the outcome would be of such a competition and what we were trying to address. And we went from that. And at some point, one of the professors here made a point that if the case competition is too broad, meaning if it's systemic, even if you were to say, okay, we want to deal with specifically a systemically racial issue of wealth disparities, right? That's the case competition prompt, essentially. Almost everything that anybody would come up with would be centered around public policy. And what we really needed to understand is you have all these major corporations coming out and taking a very strong stance on the side of this racial issue, this social issue, which was not a normal, which is not a normal thing for companies to do. And but what does it look like for a multinational um, technology company to address systemic racism or racial inequality? What does that even look like or what does it even mean? So he suggested that we focus on that because that was the real question. And so once we decided to do that, we it was a lot more white paper writing, but then we then it was okay, we're going to have to do an executive summary. So it was like okay, we're in business school, it's time to get to the PowerPoint. 
then you start figuring out because an effective PowerPoint is all about communicating at a very high level what it is that, what your goals are. And so we were able to articulate what the two goals of the competition were, which are number one, to educate the students that participate, to give them the time to educate themselves deeply around systemic racism and the impacts that has on wealth, education, and health. And then the second was to actually get these corporations something that was more informed than a more standard DEI or ESG initiative that you would see. So that kind of articulation, that took a while actually to articulate those goals that way. But once we had that, it was then, okay, we have to explain in a PowerPoint presentation, you know, what it is we're trying to accomplish, how we're going to accomplish it, and then what we need from whoever the audience member was that we were presenting that to. Thank you for, for sharing that and for breaking that down. And just as a follow-up to that, it, it sounds like you, in addition to working on it, and it sounds like there were some faculty involved, there were other students that were involved as well. And as you mentioned, it, it sounds like there was, it was, there was a lot of people who were involved. And I'm just curious to know, if, I'm sure you've worked on plenty of group projects in your time in business school. This is certainly one that was a bit unique. I'm curious what you learned from this experience, particularly working with all these other groups of people. And in this particular situation in general, certainly you were the person with the, the man with a plan, right? The man with a vision. None of these people report into you. Many of these people are your peers. I presume some of them are your friends. So what was that experience like in terms of rallying, you know, people around this idea and none of y'all are getting paid for it either. So it's, you know, what, talk to me a little bit about, about that a little bit. Yeah, that's actually really something that I've been thinking a lot about because it's a very wide enterprise what this has become because we have all of these internal people, internal faculty and administrators, the students, and then various groups within that, but then also people outside of the business school that had to work with us, like the legal um, counsel of the university, as well as the financial aspect of the university and the, the development. And then we had all of these sponsors. So we had multiple relationships with each one of these six sponsors um, that we had to manage, as well as then we added in the student participants. And so there have been, and now we have 50 judges and speakers, and it's just, there are a lot of things to manage. And to the point that you're making, so the way we set up our leadership structure is I'm the, the managing director, and then we have, I think, uh, 14 kind of people on this leadership team that are have a work stream. So for example, we have our chief financial officers, we have marketing chair, we have people that have a specific role to one of these external groups. So we have someone that's in charge of the, the sponsor relationship, the judge relationship, and then the participant lead relationship. But within all of those, we have more student volunteers that are working directly with them. So for example, with the sponsors, there are six students that are working with each one of those sponsors. So it's a large thing. And I've really been, <laughs> I've been personally overwhelmed at many times with all of these different aspects. And it's really been the greatest learning of my MBA to directly see from the very highest level how so many different aspects of something work together to get something. One thing that's happening over here 
to one group of, of these people, they don't even know about other stuff that's happening here that's impacting their workflow. That's a really difficult thing to understand if you've never been in that kind of leadership position to really see how that happens. So for me, as far as managing volunteers, actually in my previous work, I had a lot of experience managing volunteers. And one thing is, when I was soliciting help and people to get involved in this, other students in particular, I really had to get them to not only believe in the mission that we were trying to go to, but also to under, to believe in my ability to get it done. And, and that is something that has taught me a lot about leadership because I have to, especially when you get into the kind of administrative phase of something, once you're past the visioning and you're now into the more day-to-day project management, you have to continue to keep people inspired. And I try to do that in various ways, whether it's quoting Congressman Lewis or just really making sure that I'm highlighting and elevating the things that people on the team are doing to make it a success. I think that's great. And it's, it is, in general, I do think these are the experiences in business school that can really teach you so much and be incredibly valuable for learning, for self-reflection, for, for growth. And, and I can certainly empathize and understand, and that's great. And as someone who works at a large organization, I can absolutely tell you that everything that you're working through and thinking about is very much a reality that you may face uh, or many other MBA students face and alum face uh, and anyone faces working in a, lar- uh, uh, a larger organization or any or an organization of any size for that matter. So I, I certainly can see the value in it. And I would love to know just from this experience, as you've just outlined in terms of leading this, what's been the most challenging part maybe of building this? And then as a flip side of that, maybe what's been, or maybe not the flip side, but what's been the most exciting part of building this? So what, what's been challenging and also what's been exciting? There's been so many challenges. I actually think the biggest challenge and the kind of greatest thing is, frankly, we had a goal of getting five sponsors, each giving $20,000 plus, and we exceeded that goal. And there was a point when we didn't think we would get one sponsor. And so to get that sponsorship and that belief in what we were doing from People at these major multinational corporations was really, it really helped at that particular moment to re-energize the whole thing. We had been working on it since June and we didn't get our first sponsor until, oh man, it would have, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Maybe it was early October and we had been hitting the ground with that. So I think once that first one came in, the same day. In the afternoon, the second did, and then it was that really helped to bring some credibility. So we really thanked those first two, which were HP and Salesforce, because that really gave us some weight as we went and did the rest. But I, I think that those that was the biggest challenge. We, I probably, probably reached out to over sixty companies in some way, personally. That's just me, other people. So we, it was a huge effort and, but it was a huge reward whenever we got this one, we got this one, we got this one. And then, so two sides of the same coin. Yeah, that is exciting. And I can see how it can be exciting and, and challenging both. I'd love to, to, to maybe pivot for a second and just 
maybe take a step back and just talk about as you think about the case competition, and it's a case competition about racial justice geared towards MBA students. I think we can both agree that this is probably not a topic that is talked a lot about in, in business school, or at least in a curriculum perspective, or at least each, it's not something that is covered in the curriculum perspective. But at the end of the day, this is a, something that we as individuals face, or many of us face in our everyday lives, but most, some people significantly more than others. And it is something that is significantly felt by populations, particularly the, the underserved and marginalized or the underrepresented. And so it's much more of a reality for them because they, they have to face it and live and breathe it each and every day and, and the interactions they have or things that they don't have. But I guess what I'd love to know is, as an MBA student, what do you think should be the responsibilities that MBA should take in terms of understanding something like this, something like racial inequality, right? Because like as, as I said, this is not necessarily an MBA issue per se, but it is an issue that affects us as humans and humans are customers and customers are customers of companies and companies have shareholders and these individuals are shareholders. And so it's hard for me, I'm leading the witness here, but it's hard for me to decouple that this shouldn't be an issue that should be talked about more and, and that people should be taking responsibility for learning it, particularly if you're someone who has decided to invest two years to become a future manager or future leader of a company or your own company. So uh, any thoughts on that or, or how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a really important question and idea. And I think I'm going to start off by comparing business schools to other professional schools. So in a school of public health or even a medical school, issues of racial disparity cannot be ignored because they are a part of the actual work that you're doing. In a law school, I would imagine they have a similar kind of relationship with these issues. But front page, as far as law and the justice system is concerned, racial disparities, et cetera, are probably a lot more at the forefront. Business schools curriculum hasn't really evolved that much since business schools and MBAs became more common. It's been stagnant and really based in the ideology of Milton Freeman. The whole point is for the company is to maximize shareholder value. Now, I think that his legacy has been a bit reduced down. I think that his the reason why he was saying that is a little bit more complicated than I think the way we talk about it now, because he was very focused on, he was we were dealing with a lot of managers at that particular time that had way too many goals or too many competing things. And he felt it was important for people to have one thing to think about. And it was very easy for people to do that. But in any event, that's the way the curriculum has been structured. And it's not veered away from that in many ways. And I think that it's unfortunate because business plays an incredibly significant role in perpetuating the issues of inequality. And I think, and, and also has played a role in creating a lot of the inequalities that we have today. And I think that not having any part of the curriculum that kind of deals with that so that you can have students, any student that goes to an American school uh, for, for K through 12, whether it is a public, private charter, is not going to get a good American history education. It's not going to happen. 
And that's not just on issues of racial issues. It's just in general, our, our understanding of history and civics is, inc- is, is horrible. And I'm not trying to go off on a tangent here, but the larger point that I'm trying to make is these professional schools cannot take for granted that people have gotten an education about issues of inequality and, and systemic issues of racism within K through 12 education or even in their undergraduate education. And people are coming in here with a clean slate. And frankly, for most people, the MBA is a terminal degree. So this is the last time people will sit in a classroom and a professor can stand in front of them and say, we're going to have a conversation about how businesses have been a, have been perpetuating these issues. And we talk about social impact in other ways, but never specifically about racial issues. And so I think that the role of business has never been more clear as we've seen through the COVID crisis with the disparities to people of color and looking at all of these. When we think of healthcare in this country, we think of private companies, in other parts of the world, when they're talking about vaccines, their top of mind is their government healthcare system. Here, we're thinking about Pfizer, we're thinking about Moderna, we're thinking, and, and so with that comes a responsibility that probably wouldn't exist if the government had a much larger role in these sorts of addressing these sorts of disparities or issues. But in the United States, where capital is king, the businesses have a huge role in what gets discussed, what makes its way to Congress. And so business leaders have a huge obligation here to really drive this conversation. And unfortunately, a lot of business leaders and MBA programs, our future ones, are not getting any sort of understanding of the role they play. And I just want to say lastly, because I know I'm going off here, but that was what in that initial conversation disturbed me the most was that these students were saying they didn't feel like they could do anything. And these were students that were about to go work at investment banks or were interning there right now or working for consulting firms. or And, and they were saying, I don't think I can do anything about this. And I just thought, wow, that it's really, that's bad. Sure, sure. And I can, I can totally see how this could be, it's not like the end all be all, but it's a great first step. So you've been through a couple rounds so far of the case competition. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen so far and how it's going. Yeah, it's brand new. So we didn't know what to expect. So on many levels. So as I said, the first first thing that we needed to do was get the sponsorship. And that was happening in tandem about around getting people to participate. So we utilized some of our, some of the affinity groups or different organizations that work with business students. And so, for example, the National Black uh, MBA Association, the consortium, we were utilizing those networks to get the word out. And then there was just some boots on the ground, direct uh, solicitation to, I think we reached out to, we have an email list of about a thousand individuals that we basically just went to all of these school websites and found the presidents of consulting clubs, the presidents of Black MBA associations, et cetera, and reached out to them to let them know that the application was going to come up at this point. But we had no sense of how many students were going to apply, and we needed 24 at least 
to meet our obligation to the corporate partners. So it was very nerve wracking. The, the application was open for one month from November 9th to the 30th. And I had already preemptively said, these are students and we'll probably get the majority of our applications on the deadline. The entire month of November, we got no applications. From November 9th to about, I guess Thanksgiving was the 27th. From November 9th to the 27th, we got zero applications. And people were very concerned, but I was like, I'm not concerned at all. And when we got the first application and I saw it, I won't say where it's from, the school it's from, but I will say it's actually one of the semifinalist teams. And the way the application was structured is that was pretty straightforward, but there was this aspect that we called a PowerPoint statement of intention. And the team had to do a PowerPoint presentation around seven slides, and they addressed four questions. The first was, what role do you think business plays in racial justice and equity? It was a very broad question intentionally. Uh, the second question was, you have six weeks to do research if you're a semifinalist and you'll also be given a $1,000 research budget for primary research. How would you utilize those resources? The third question was, so the way the competition prizes are structured is the grand prize, for example, is $20,000. Half of that goes to the team in cash. The other half goes to a racial justice or equity initiative of their choice. So a nonprofit organization or a, a startup founded by a person of color, they had a lot of wiggle room for what they did with that. But so they had to tell us what that was, what they thought the impact of that $10,000 would be and go into a high level of detail. And then the last was, how does your team demonstrate diversity? It was, we, that was all pulled out of thin air. And we were like, we don't know what these are going to look like. We don't know what's going to happen. And I got that. We saw the very first application and I was like, took a breath because I was like, wow, there was so much individuality, so much personality and so much passion, but also a lot of um, empirical data that the team's that this particular team had utilized in order to not just make their points, but also to, to support them, which is exactly what we wanted because that's what MBA students do. They go out and they solve a problem by collecting the right data and then creating the story around that. And that's exactly what we were looking to have them do. So in that first round, we ended up ultimately at 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. on the, the deadline, we, we closed out at 105 applications and so we obviously we had a we had a group of about 25 screeners so this was it was a variety of people there were some professors and administrators from schools here in Atlanta as well as some professionals and professional consultants but also some people that works specifically in racial equity that got that down to 24 and then those 24 teams met twice so then we assigned those 24 teams to the corporate partners randomly and those teams had a one hour meeting with the corporate partner uh, one week, all of them together. And then the following week, they got to meet, each team got to meet with the corporate partner for 30 minutes. And then we had a focus group. We had a focus group workshop, teach them how to do that, as well as a survey creation workshop, basically to make sure that they got all the information they needed and had the ability to work really well for six weeks. And so after that all happens, maybe the third week of December, they've been on their own until we see the, the final recommendation. So we're very anxious to see what they come up with.
That's thank you for sharing that. And it's incredible to see that you could go from uh, zero to 105 teams. That's incredible. And I think it speaks to uh, the or number one, the work that you put out there, but to the desire, I think, for people to to want to learn more and grow more into this space. And so I, I think to me, that's super exciting. And I look forward to uh, seeing who wins. Would love to know, uh, just to close out here, how are you looking at success and defining success for this? I know you mentioned certainly you had some goals in terms of what you promised us partners and, and certainly metrics I'm sure you're tracking towards, but maybe more strategically, what do you view as success for for this for maybe year one? And then also maybe what do you hope to see this become? I know you're obviously going to graduate in a couple months. Where do you hope this goes at, perhaps maybe and what lives on after you graduate? So what I would love to see on with those teams is one of the things that they're two of the, the categories. So they're going to be they're going to be scored by the judging panel on 15 dimensions. But the two that I find the most um, important for me personally and is why that they were included was creativity and boldness. And a lot of people were like, when we were putting this rubric together, what does that even mean? That's such a vague thing. And I said, exactly. But it's this idea of, I would find it, I, I think actually in one of the meetings with the corporate partners that one of the teams had, the team had asked some sort of question and the corporate partner said, we're not looking for stuff that we could figure out ourselves. We're looking for you to give us a completely different way of looking at this. And I feel like that's where boldness comes in, is that people are going to be like, I'm trying to win this competition and I'm trying to really think about this and I'm going to go read all of these different DEI reports and all this. But I, I, success for me would look like somebody being like, wow, that was, I can't believe you got to that from that. And that really shows that your understanding of how deep these issues are and what role we can play is incredibly thoughtful on a level that is really hard to get to. And I think for success would look like a lot of that happening. To have, even if it was just one per partner team that really made them say, wow, that is something or those are things that we never would have thought about or connections that we never would have made. Because part of the problem with systemic issues is that it's hard to make your way all the way back to the root and then work your way back forward. And, and what happens is somebody says with a case competition, for example, you'll look at, okay, this is the partner's case prompt and they get very focused in on that. But what we said to them before the break was, make sure you are reading, you are getting into the minds of millions of people over the past 400 years and all of these impacts of all of the things that have happened so that you're bringing that to your presentation. So for me, that that kind of like awe-inspiring thing is what I'm looking for to move this conversation forward because that's what it's going to take. As far as the future, what I'm hoping is that we get things from this from, from these recommendations that become, uh, this happened in another one of these partner meetings where one of the corporate partners said to the team, what we would love is to be a leader in this area. So think about leadership. So it's not gonna be a lot about of what's already been done. Think about how we can 
be a leader in changing this conversation. And the great thing is that each one of our partners represents really a different industry or area. We've got healthcare with Johnson & Johnson. We've got retail with Walmart. We've got financial services with Truist and the other ones. And so that's great because I would love to see corporations say, one place we can start with this is the John R. Lewis case competition is just to let these students run wild and figure out something that we never would have thought about. And, and that's really what I'm hoping that in the future, the reputation of this becomes, is that this is an incubator for people to really feel free to go out here and come up with things that are super bold. Because lastly, I'll say, when people are in the weeds of an organization, all of that comes with that, the bureaucracies and all of those different things can hinder people that really want to do something big from really thinking big. The great thing about working with students in this way and the reason why case competitions are so successful is because it gives people a, gets rid of all of that. And people are able to think about things um, in a completely different way with no consequences. And I think that's what we want. Yep. Yeah. Willie, thank you so much for sharing that and for joining me today. I appreciate you really telling us a little bit more about the John R. Lewis case competition, how you brought it to life and what's ahead. If people want to learn more, where can they go to find out about more information and to find out who eventually is going to win? Yeah. So they should go to our LinkedIn page. Just type in the search John R. Lewis case competition, and that'll take you to the LinkedIn page. And the other thing is that the final round will be open to the public. And that is January 21st at 3 p.m. And uh, you'll be able to see those last six or the, the six finalist teams present. So I think it'll be really interesting and fun to watch. And then also at the end of that, the audience will actually be able to participate. There's an audience prize of $10,000 that the audience will get to vote for which one of those six teams they like the most and also get to see who wins the grand prize and the second prize. So I think it'll be a really interesting thing. And I encourage you to go to that LinkedIn, John R. Lewis Racial Justice Case Competition, and we'll have that registration on there on Tuesday. That's great. We'll put that in the show notes. Willie, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.